Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed. If you love Dynasty Leagues and prospects, you came to the right place, because that's what this show is all about. Covering the majors and all levels of the minor leagues to give you the leg up in your Dynasty Leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 47 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clegg and Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have another fun episode in store for you today with a great guest. But before we bring on that guest, let's bring in my partner in crime from Fantrax HQ, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, what's going on, man? Oh, not too much. Just another great day to talk about some fantasy baseball coming down the stretch here. And uh, it's going to be a fun episode. Hopefully, give you some guys some good dynasty advice. And, you know, as trade deadlines loom in a lot of leagues, I guess, you know, in a couple of days, I guess a day after you're listening to this, you know, time to see, you know, who might be sell highs before the season ends and uh, talk about some other prospects that are on the rise and other sort of things. And it's going to be a great episode with a great guest that really looking forward to. Yeah, for sure. And how is it already almost September? Like this is ridiculous. Nuts. Like yeah, we're recording not- Sunday afternoon. My kids start school tomorrow on Monday, the 30th. It's like, I feel like they just got out of school and now we're already going back to school and getting near the fall and the end of the season. This is crazy. I know. My son's four months old today, so it's gone, like, so quick. So, you know, I, I, it feels like, yeah, just yesterday you were texting me about it. Then our, our other guest also just had a, a child recently. So all my, my podcast brethren here are having babies here, <laughs> and I'm in the uh, been there, done that camp. So <laughs> my kids are nine and five at this point. But uh, bringing on our guest now, this is a man that I have potted with Dozens of times over the last year. He's my former co-host on the Five Tool Pod from Over the Monster, the Dynasty Guru, and always a member of the Fantrax family. Jake Devro's in the house. Jake, good to be potting with you again, man. Dude, this is awesome. Uh, first time coming on the shed. First time hanging out in the shed with you two gentlemen. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited, man. It's It's been too long. It has. How's, how's life as a new father? It's great. Yeah, my daughter's awesome. So it's a, it's a whole lot of fun. Not a ton of sleep, but um, you know, <laughs> getting there. Actually, I, I remember I texted uh, Clegg and I was like, when, when can I expect my daughter to start sleeping? He's like, oh, <laughs> month and a half, month and a half. <laughs> we and, were spoiled. Uh, well, you know what? We got to a month and a half and we got our first stretch of like six or seven hours in a row. So uh, you weren't wrong, Chris. Yeah, yeah it's, that's nice it's, when you get the almost full night. Right. <laughs> exactly. It feels like I, a luxury. I remember those days. It's great when they start sleeping like bigger chunks times. You're not one of you's not up every two, three hours. Yeah, that, that's rough. But hey, it's all worth it. Right. So I, I think best feeling in the world being being a dad. And it's, it's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. 
All right, but before we get into this week's episode, the usual housekeeping, you can find us on Twitter. Jake is at DevJake, Chris is at RotoClegg, I'm at AirCross04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Check out our Patreon for extra written content from both Chris and I, bonus podcasts, private Discord access, access to our live prospect and dynasty rankings, and much more. These perks are available across four different tiers, starting at $5. Or if you just want to thank and support Chris and I, you can do so for $1 a month. Sign up today at patreon.com slash toolshed. And of course, check out all the other great written and audio work we have on the network, including our other podcasts, SB Streamer, Fantasy Hockey Life, Fantasy Football Addicts, and Define Fantasy Football is Fantasy football is right around the corner, so many of you are probably doing your drafts there, so check out those two great new fantasy football podcasts we added over the last couple of weeks. But let's get right into uh, this week's show. As Chris mentioned, we have a lot of great subjects today. We have some prospect promotions, some potential prospects to stash down the stretch. We'll talk a little Red Sox here, because we got another Red Sox fan in the house with Jake. And then we'll talk some Dynasty top 10 players who are maybe rising or falling out of that top 10 and finish with some players to sell high right now with most trade deadlines coming up here, at least on Fantrax. Like, I know those of you in Yahoo leagues, they probably already passed, but Fantrax leagues, for the most part, deadline is on the 31st, so we'll get some of those mixed in as well. Let's start with uh, one promotion here, Robert Hassel, one of my favorite prospects in all of minor league baseball. I just got promoted to high A, and that was very warranted. Hassel has really come in and shown advanced, basically advanced across the plate. Yeah, the power isn't quite there yet, but he is absolutely dominated in low A uh, for the San Diego Padres, pushing top 10 prospects at us for me now in 92 games, 429 plate appearances, slash 323, 415, 482, 31 doubles, 31 steals, or he was caught six times uh, with seven home runs, 57 walks to 74 strikeouts in those 92 games. I have him pushing top 10 now. Jake, what have been your thoughts with Robert Hassel so far? I've been just crazy impressed. Um, you know, I, I liked the package uh, when he was coming out of the draft, and I thought, man, this is a guy with a lot of potential. Um, but I just wasn't sure it would all come together as easy as it has. You know, a guy making that transition, he's still so young. He's 20 years old. Um, but, you know, he's, he just turned 20 14 days ago. I mean, this is, we're talking about a teenager uh, right now, but he's handling his at-bats in the minor leagues like a, like a guy who's three or four years older. Um, and just a, a very sweet lefty swing. Um, you know, I know you were kind of driving the train on Robert Hassel. Uh, so we got to give you some credit cross. Uh, that was a pretty good call. I think if the power comes and some of this speed can stick, you know, we're talking about an easy top 10 prospect here. It's just, it's tough to look at that 31 stolen base number, uh, from the minor leagues because it's just so easy to run on those guys at that, at those levels. But, um, right. you know, even if 15 steals sticks, um, you know, you could be talking about a 25, 15 guy with a 300 batting average. Yeah. And I, I think, yeah, absolutely. Those, the stolen base numbers are through the roof down in there. Let's look at, look at Zach Veen. Yeah, he's, got, right. he's got 31 steals. Um, but yeah, I, I think he could do a little bit more speed wise. I think he could do it, be like a 20 steal guy, like 20 to 25 home runs, 20 steals. And I do think the power is coming. Like you've seen, you, you watch him at the plate. The bat speed's there. The contact skills are there. You know, the he has a nice slight uppercut and swing pass. So I think with time, some added bulk, I think he can get there as well. Chris, what, what are your thoughts on, on Hassel here? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think that 
for him to get into the game power, he's just going to have to lift the ball a little more. I mean, he hits the ball on the ground a little too much. At, you know, in low A, he was at 52.1%. And you'd obviously like to see it lower, especially at that level where, you know, I feel like it's a lot easier to lift the ball on some of these guys you're facing. But yeah, 18.3% line drive rate. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I'd like to see that come up. The fly, surprisingly, at 30% fly ball rate. But yeah, I mean, you know, his hit tool is very solid. You mentioned the bat speeds there. He has great contact skills. He, he has everything you want to see. So I think that that's kind of going to be the biggest thing to monitor for me is if he can generate a little more loft, not hit the ball on the ground as much, because that's when he's truly going to get to that power that I think he has. I think he's got he'll, – he'll get to at least like average game power. And I think the speed is, you know, above average potential plus. We'll see how, you know, if he bulks up a little bit more. Right now he's at listed at 6'2", 195. So, you know, he could put on a little more weight. We'll see. But, you know, good frame for power. Obviously the hit tool I think is – you know, plus easily. And so I think the, the power will be the biggest question mark long-term, but I do think that, you know, he, I've got him like 15th overall right now, and there's potential to go even higher there. Yeah. I have him currently 11th overall. And someone asked me when I, I did a, a tweet last night about when he got promoted, like, is he a top 10 prospect? And I'm like, well, yes, but so are like 13 other guys. It's like, there's so, so much talent right now. It's like, I have him 11th, but I want to move him higher, but these are the guys right in front of him. I have Riley Green at 10, Adley Rushman at 9, Zach Vina at 8, Torque at 7, you know, and you get up in the elite guys, Abrams, Davis, Luciano, etc. So it's hard for me to move him higher, even though he, I think he warrants a top 10 ranking, but I can't bring myself to drop any of those other guys out of that top 10. But yeah, definitely if that power starts coming along even more when he gets into high A and then next year, you know, high A, probably double A as well at some point next season. He'll definitely be top 10. Plus, a couple of these guys will probably graduate. You know, Richmond definitely. So, um, yeah, definitely loving Robert Hassel so far. And another promotion and a guy that added more power this year, Kiber Ruiz has been absolutely raking in AAA for both the Nats and the Dodgers when he was with there earlier in the year. Slashing 310, 377, 616 with 21 home runs and 24 doubles in 316 plate appearances. This is a guy that... You know, I always like like I love the context skills. The approach has always been good. You know, maybe not super high walk rates, but this is a guy that does not strike out. His his K rate is around eleven percent right now. Walk rate a hair under ten percent. Always been that type of guy showing like a plus hit tool and a low strikeout rate. But I question the power in the past. But he made an adjustment in twenty twenty during the lockdown, unlocked more power, and now he's getting called up to the Nats. Jake, do you think there could be a potential redraft impact here? And, and what are your thoughts on Ruiz long-term? Yeah, I do think there could be uh, some redraft impact with Ruiz. Um, you know, his bat is just so advanced, and it kind of goes against what the trends that we're seeing in the game today with these guys that are coming up that are really three true outcomes type hitters. And with Ruiz, what we've seen uh, over the course of his minor league career is you know, the patience at the plate has gone up basically every year. Um, 10% lock rate, a little bit higher than that. Uh, at, at some stops, most recently at AAA with the Dodgers, it was 10% lock rate. Um, and then, like you mentioned, not striking out at all. So I think that he's somebody who is going to adjust to the major leagues uh, a little bit faster than some hitters that maybe strike out a little bit more. And, um, you know, you mentioned the power coming too. That's usually the last thing to come for guys with this type of profile he's not a small guy he's six foot 225 he's very solid very muscular um so i think that he will get to more of that power and long term i think you know the, the biggest question with ruiz has always been like you know 
the Dodgers organization viewed uh, Will Smith as the better catcher. So that's why, you know, he got promoted first and, you know, that's why he's there. But Ruiz, if, if he can stick and, you know, be one of those catchers that plays a hundred games, um, I think we're talking about a top five uh, catcher in dynasty leagues pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I absolutely think that's possible. Uh, Chris, where are you at on Ruiz here for, for long-term dynasty value? Yeah, he's moved way up for me, and I'll admit that I was always lower on him, one, because he was a catcher, and two, because I thought the power was pretty minimal. And, you know, the hit tool's always been there. The contact skills have been there. But he's made major strides this year, and a lot of that comes from just lifting the ball more, kind of like I talked about I want to see from Hassel. And Ruiz has done exactly that. We've seen his fly ball rate increase this year significantly and putting more balls over the fence. And it's not even a factor of his home run to fly ball rate really going up any at all. It's just the fact that he's putting the ball in the air more often and giving it a chance to go out. And then, you know, the, I think the power is legit. You mentioned Jake, his frame you know, is very solid. It's built for power. And now I think that he's tapping into that to already good contact skills. And I think now we have, it, it would be bad to ignore the fact that he's out of Los Angeles where he was totally just, you know, on the, he didn't have a spot and right. you know, the Dodgers system is stacked with catchers too. And so, who knows what that pecking order looked like for them. And now being in Washington, I think that he's got a clear shot. There's no one to really block him. And I think that's a big factor. And it's the same reason that I really wanted Gavin Lux to go to Washington too. I thought that would have been fantastic move for him oh, to yeah. kind of free out of that system. But yeah, for Ruiz, it's going to be a big move. I, I'm definitely putting in waiver claims to get him. And I know we all play in leaks together. So <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, he's definitely one that I'll be looking to add this week. Cause I think there is some, some redraft intrigue the rest of the season. Yeah. I blew all my fab two months ago in, in uh, the, the big redraft league we're in together. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm no threat to you there. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty low in fab in that league as well. Um, but yeah, with, uh, with Kibir Ruiz, yeah, it's great that he got out of, of the, you know, the Dodgers org, even though he goes from one of the top orgs to one of the bottom orgs in baseball, but they didn't have a long-term catching prospect in that system. Uh, so easy path to playing time. I think he can play, you know, at least close to regularly the rest of the way. And I, I don't know how I, how I, if I can comp anybody or Ruiz to any current catcher because he's kind of different. The profile is just not really one you see a lot from a catcher position. See so with the, the high contact with pop and the low striker rate as well. So I, I love it. Like I think this is a guy that could, like like Jake, you you said he could. You think he can transition pretty easily. This is the type of guy that I think can as well. Just that the approach is there. And that usually helps, you know, the transition become more seamless um, than others. So I never think there's some redraft value. Like I said earlier, I think he he could be like a back end top twelve or so catcher rest of the way. He's right in that range with like Carson Kelly and, and other guys like that. Um, so I think he could definitely have some value there. And I love the profile long term. So I've come around on Ruiz. Now that he's shown me the power as well, I think he's potentially top ten. Okay, I'm not sure if I'll go top five, but I think that definitely is possible. Uh, especially what do you if, think about um, Alejandro Kirk as a comp? That's actually pretty close. You know, Kirk, I think, actually, I'm not sure who I like more now. Like, I, you know, ask me, you know, I think we both were in agreement. You know, you and I both, I know you're a little bit even, you both, we're all big Kirk guys on, on this pod right now. Um, I think there's more power with Ruiz now. I don't know. It, it's really close. They're both, you know, pretty similar, can hit for average power, good approach. But then again, Toronto, Kirk is kind of blocked too. Then with, Danny Jansen and others there too. So, 
and Moreno is coming hot up on his heels. So yeah, uh, Toronto's got a lot of catchers. So I don't I don't know how that's gonna work. I mean, this DH him a lot. Who knows? But yeah, I think that's that's pretty close. But I think they both could be top ten catchers the rest of the way. And you know, really catching prospects right now are in a really good spot. Like there's a lot of intriguing catching prospects right now. I just put out a tweet a couple hours ago. Like my top ten catching prospects right now are Adley Rushman, Tyler Soderstrom, who probably moves off, but right now I'm still including him. Henry Davis, Francisco Alvarez, Moreno, Kiba Ruiz, Austin Wells, Joey Bart, Harry Ford, and MJ Melendez, who's hitting like as 30-something home runs so far this year. So it's a good time. Like if you're looking to get rid of your catcher, you know, you can get one of these guys to you know be up pretty soon. It's a good time to kind of cycle through your catchers and kind of retool there. It's a lot of good, a lot of talent there, much more so than first base, that's for sure. First yeah, base something's in the water so. there for those Royals catchers, man. I know they're they're popping back up again. Like, all the, <laughs> like uh, after I remember they had three guys that had really down years in 2019: uh, Melendez, Prado, and Matias. And both Prado and Melendez are just absolutely dominating this year. Both back up into well into my, my top 100 now. So, yeah, they put something back in the water there in Kansas City that wasn't there in 2019. Um, let, let's transition. You know, with, with Ruiz being up now. Let's transition into – we haven't done this in a while. We figured it would be a good time to do our last prospects to stash down the stretch um, for redraft leagues. And, Chris, you and I were talking before uh, we came on the air. You don't know if there's any really names that you'd be really intrigued to stash. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any, like, clear, obvious prospects that's, like, is going to come up and, and light the world on fire. And, you know, there's always those that will come. I mean, there's going to be prospects that come up. And some no-name prospects are going to come up and perform well, and there's going to there could be a big prospect come up and struggle. But yeah, w- with what I'm seeing and reading right now, I just don't really see a huge impact. There's not a, and I know rosters are going to expand, and certainly there's a chance. But like even Bobby Witt Jr., like I just don't really see him coming up this year. I don't see a reason for him to come up this year. Could be totally wrong on that, but yeah, I mean w- there's some names here that are possible, but. None, I would say, are above like a seventy-five percent chance they come up. Honestly, yeah, I was kind of looking at that, and the names we have on the list that I think could have a chance if they, you know, if they were brought up, you know, on the hitting side of things, Bobby Witt Jr. Maybe we see Nick Prado uh, from the Rays. Maybe Josh Lowe comes up. Vidal Brujan could come back up. And maybe we see a Jose Miranda from in Minnesota, uh, Seth Beer out in Arizona, Nolan Jones in Cleveland. Those are some names I think could come up. Pitching side of things, I think Luis Heel could come back up and do. You know, he's he looked very well over his first few starts, and then uh, Shane Boz and Joe Ryan are a couple of the two. I'm, I'm these are the guys I'm monitoring, but yeah, with I'm with you. I don't really see any of these guys. Like I'm not like all right, boom, that's a guy that'll come up and provide value. I think there are some that if they came up, like Bobby Witt Jr. If he came up, obviously could be a huge impact prospect. You know, he's up over 25 home runs, over 20 steals down there in AAA right now, so. Obviously, he'd be the big one, and I I love Josh Lowe. He's over twenty twenty right now, very underrated. I don't know where he fits in in Tampa Bay right now. Maybe maybe an injury happens and he slides in, or Bruhan comes back up. But and then Vaz, I think he will be up, but I don't know in what role. They might do like the David Price thing from you know years ago and have him come up and help in the bullpen down the stretch with him hitting hundred you know miles an hour with a ninety plus mile an hour slider. That would be a huge weapon out of the pen. But yeah, I, I don't know if I see any real big names and i'm like all right you gotta stash this guy i don't jake are there any names that you're excited about from this list i think the pitchers are the ones that stand out more to me um you know heel as you mentioned has had some success at the major league level um it's hard to ignore 
uh, the success that Daz has had this year, um, you know, at the minor league level. And that's really cool because he was one of the first people we talked to uh, on the five tool fantasy baseball yeah. pod. So that was, it's cool to see him have that level of success. But I think that, um, you know, the, the Rays have been churning through a lot of starters. So I think that if I was to target one person on this list who, who might end up getting some time and be impactful, I think it could be Shane Boz. Yeah, that would be really – if he does get a, a rotation spot, that would be really intriguing with how well he's done this year. You know, the Arsenal taking a step forward outside of just the fastball slider, you know, the control taking a huge step forward. Like, mm-hmm. when, we, when we talked to him last – I think it was, what, like early April? It was, like, right in the beginning of the pandemic. And yep. he, yeah, he had, like, he had a game plan of what he wanted to improve on, and it looks like he hit that game plan right on the head and made huge improvements across the board. So – um, very, very good to see out of Shane Baz. And yeah, that'd be very intriguing if he came up and was in the rotation because that's just such an electric arm, such high strikeout potential. Love Shane Baz. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on here. You know, with, with Jake on the show, we have two Red Sox fans. Let's talk some Red Sox values here moving forward. I want to start with Tanner Houck. You know, Jake, you put out a tweet a few days back about, you know, what you kind of were, thought the 2022 Sox could look like. And Houck was someone that you and I kind of discussed a little bit back and forth. And I think we both like Houck, and obviously the fastball slider combination is very, very good. But that third pitch isn't quite there. But if you think, you know, over the offseason, you know, there's a lot of good guys on this team to learn from. Sale has a good changeup. Erod has a solid changeup as well. Do you think that with a – whether it's him improving the splitter, you know, adding a changeup, whatever it may be, that a third pitch could turn Houck into – I think – maybe a top 50 starter next year. He's got that type of upside. What, what are your thoughts on how, you know, long-term? Yeah, I think that's a, you know, th- there's certainly that possibility. Um, and it's not for lack of trying that Hulk hasn't gotten that third pitch yet. Um, you know, he, he, he really has two different fastballs too. That's the thing that allows him to kind of have this success at the major league level right now. He's got a two seamer. He's got a four seamer. Um, you know, he works in this super impressive slider, um, the splitter for him has not really come along. It's an average to below average offering that he doesn't seem super comfortable with. Um, and as we know, the changeup is just, it's a feel pitch. So it's one of those things that um, some guys just never really do end up getting the feel for the changeup. But if he can ever really make that splitter an effective weapon or learn a changeup and feel comfortable with it, throwing it all the time, um, Hauk absolutely has that. I would, I would even go so far as to say that if Hauk gets a third offering, he could be a top 30 guy. Um, that's the type of, uh, talent that's there with the, the two pitches, the fastball and the, the slider right now. Um, but the thing that, you know, I just keep looking to, which leads me to believe that he's going to end up in the pen is, uh, you know, to this point in his career, they've tried a lot of different things with him. They've tried different deliveries. They've tried different grips with pitches, um, and it's very clear that the Red Sox don't view him as somebody who can go uh, through the lineup three times. As, as soon as he gets through the lineup two times, they, uh, they pull him very quickly. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at his game log right now. Um, he has one, one start um, since he came back up in July of five innings. Every other start has been less than five innings. So it really is something that the team seems to kind of panic about when, when he gets to that point, because the numbers are certainly not in his favor when he faces the lineup for a third time through. And that that's true even at the triple A level. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's something I've noticed too. 
Uh, but at the same time, if he were to go to the pen, you know, we don't really have uh, some guy like, all right, that's our closer long term. Like Barnes did well earlier in the year. Now he's tr- struggled. Ottavino's taken over. But he's 36, 37. Some, we have some other guys that, I don't know, maybe Garrett Whitlock. I don't I still don't know how I feel about what, what his role is long term. It could be a number of different things, but there's no like guy or an heir apparent to that role. So, he could be our closer, you know. It wouldn't surprise me. And he could be a top, you know, five ten closer. I think so. Definitely some different paths for how they could carve out value. So, yeah, yeah, very intriguing. I totally agree with you about the closer thing too, Eric. I think he has the mentality to do it, and that's one of the things that's been so impressive when he comes up. He's just completely unfazed by the moment, um, and you know, you could easily see him settling into a high leverage late innings role, and even potentially flip-flopping him with Whitlock because Whitlock's a guy who's developed now three above average pitches. So he's a guy who I think will move into the rotation next year. And it makes it that much sweeter that we got Whitlock for free from the New York (laughs) Yankees. Yeah. Makes it, makes it that much sweeter. So um, yeah, a lot of intriguing arms there, Chris, as an outsider and a non Red Sox fan, what are your thoughts on how, how do you value him long-term? I really like what I've seen, but I think there's valid points for the bullpen. Like we've seen, like, especially when he gets into the fourth and fifth inning, you see the ERA jump substantially. So you know, he looks comfortable early on. And then as he gets later into the start, there's just not as much comfortability there. And we've seen him struggle, you know, up to those points. And, you know, that kind of makes me question a little bit, you know, where he does end up long-term. And like you mentioned, really just being a two-pitch guy right now with a fastball slider, you know, I'd definitely like to see him use the changeup a little more because I do think it has a the potential to be, you know, a solid offering, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's definitely upside here. Like I, I really like what I've seen from him. I think he could thrive in a couple different roles, but yeah, you know, I just wonder what that role is. Like I would say there's definitely a chance that, that he is a bullpen guy. And so that's my fear of going too high on him for dynasty purposes is that, you know, he does end up in the pen. Yeah, no, that, that's very valid. Uh, moving on here, a couple of other intriguing arms in the Red Sox rotation we want to talk about here. Chris Sale and Eduardo Rodriguez. Sale obviously was out for most of the season up until recently. Three starts back, 15 in the third innings, three walks, 21 Ks, 235 ERA, 104 whip. And Eduardo Rodriguez has had a very up and down year. He's been a bit unlucky, though, but overall, you know, 512 ERA across 25 starts. 139 whip. Um, it's been very, he's having you know a great year in terms of you know, his strikeout. The walk rate is the best of his career so far. Like this is a guy that in 2019 led the American league with 75 walks. So he's done a lot better there. Dropped to the 38 this year uh, in his 25 starts. So much better there. Highest carrot of his career. Um, Chris with Erod, are you just kind of chalking this up to being, all right, he's been a little unlucky. All the ERA you know, indicators are, you know, half a run to a run or even more lower than his ERA and you think he'll have a nice bounce back year next year? Yeah, I think he could be a great value in redraft leagues and even to buy low on right now in a dynasty league. I mean, he's only 28 years old. I think that there's definitely been some bad luck factored in, which is crazy that the bad luck has lasted, you know, 126 innings. Right. But <laughs> like you mentioned, he's got a 512 ERA, but you know, Sierra of 364, FIP of 349, the strikeout rate, best of his career, the walk rate, lowest of his career. You mentioned the highest K per walk rate of his career and a swing and strike rate is pretty much in line with last season, but he is getting more first pitch strikes, which I think has benefited him a little bit. And he's throwing in the zone more, 
And so you're getting just more strikes in general, which is, is benefiting him and leading to some more strikeouts. You know, I don't know what I see in him long-term. I, I don't think he's like a high-level starter, but I do think what we've seen in the past, like he can be like a 3-8 to like a 4 ERA type guy, which I think is still solid and has his place. But, you know, I'm not ready to like push him up to say like he could be you know, like even SP3 next year. But I do think that he's solid. I think that there will be definitely some positive regression coming his way based on everything I've seen from him and all, all the numbers backing that up. I think that, you know, he'll definitely rebound and next year could be a great value. Yeah, I, I'm still in the buy low on Erod Cam. You know, as a, as a Red Sox fan, I've watched basically all of his starts this year and he has not looked 512 ERA bad. You know, there's still, he's still, has always been a guy that will maybe nitpick a little bit too, try to hit the corners too much, but he's really advanced as, as a pitcher overall the last couple of years. And you look at a lot of his numbers and a lot of them are just slightly worse than last year, or in some cases, like we mentioned with the strikeout and walk rate, even better than last year is you know, a lot of his ERA indicators, like his X ERA is only 0.06 below last year, 353 to 359. So yeah, I am definitely in the buy low on Erod camp. Jake, what are your thoughts? Oh, I'm going to throw some cold water on Erod. Um, I, I, I just, I've watched so much Erod over the years, as, as I'm sure you have, Eric. It, it's just so frustrating because he's one of those guys that's, um, the parts are better than what you get. At, at the, you know, at the end of the year, the, the ERA just doesn't look like it should based on this stuff. But he's one of the harder throwing lefties in the league. Um, his changeup when it's on is a great pitch for him. He's got a cutter he can mix in. A slider's pretty good pitch. I mean, there's a lot to like here, but Erod is prone to these sort of moments of mental lapses where it seems like he loses focus during the game and gives up a, a big hit when when you know he can least afford to do so. Um, I agree with Clegg that I think he can get back to that like three eight four ERA. But that's just so disappointing when you look at the kind of stuff that he has. I think that he's got the stuff to be like a 3-3 ERA guy. Um, but, you know, the the mental mistakes with him, I think, limit that, uh, that ceiling quite a bit. So he's somebody that I'm not going to invest in. Um, last year, he didn't pitch at all because of the myocarditis that he had from getting COVID. Uh, and in 2019, he had that great season. Uh, but it I mean, even that great season was still a 3.81 ERA. So I actually, I don't think he'll ever run into a truly special year where he's like a three and a half or below uh, type pitcher. But I do think that he'll be better moving forward than his 5.12 ERA. But he, he is also, the, the other thing we have to point out when we talk about Erod is just that that 2019 season where he threw 203 and a third innings is the outlier. He... Uh, had been somebody the four seasons before that had been very injury prone with his his knee and his leg and he's had all sorts of different ailments um, over the course of his career so you know he's not somebody I want the Red Sox to sign next year and he's certainly not somebody I'm going to be targeting in any of my leagues that's fair yeah there are some red flags you mentioned the, the injury history and even like that all the heart issues he's had it's like Always seems to be there's like there's something with Eroy. I don't think he's ever like fully 100% healthy. So yeah. there are some red flags there. But I think he can get back to. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that I don't think we're gonna see 
you know, him, you know, be a, a fantasy ace or even a number two. But I think getting back to his 2018, 2019 levels, where he was, you know, high three ERA, you know, solid straight gut rate type of guy. I think that is someone that we can see again. But that would put him in what, S, you know, SP three or four territory. I think that's fair. But um, you're definitely better than a 512 ERA, though. And, and yeah. Jake, Chris Sale, is he a fantasy ace moving forward in your mind? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> not, just, not, not just, yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're looking at his numbers right now. Um, his his K per nine is 12.3, which is, you know, right in line with some of his best years in the major leagues. Uh, granted, it's only been three starts, but the, the nice thing is that we're seeing um, the walks per nine dip way low. I mean, he's at 1.76 right now, um, which is actually better than what he was in 2017, would be the best mark of his career if he's able to, you know, maintain this moving forward. Um, But I think the thing that happened with Chris Sale when his uh, UCL started to go was that his command in the zone uh, started to get much worse. And uh, he was prone to kind of giving up uh, big hits. And, um, we saw that with the the jump in the home run to fly ball rate ended up all the way at 19 and a half percent um the last year that he pitched in 2019 um and that killed him but um i think that as he continues to show that he's getting healthier and gets his velocity back and he was chucking 98 after uh the home run that he gave up uh last start so that's kind of coming back here I think he's easily going to be a top 10 uh, starting pitcher in dynasty leagues moving forward. Uh, he's somebody that we at the dynasty guru ranked number one overall as recently as 2018. Um, so, you know, he's still not old. He's 32 years old and a lot of guys have success coming off Tommy John. So I, I am extremely bullish on Chris sale uh, moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it was a kind of a blessing in the skies for him just to, get you know some time off from that arm yeah he had to go through surgery obviously that's never great but just to give it's a little break to the arm in general you know, maybe that might help him moving forward here Clegg, you agree dynasty yeah, East for chris sale i think so i mean now he's fully healthy and that's the thing like we don't know how long that ucl was bothering him but now he's back he's healthy you know the mileage on his arm is i mean yeah he's got some innings under his belt but i still think he's got a lot left he's just 32 years old so I don't see why moving forward he shouldn't be a top arm and why even in dynasty leagues we should we shouldn't view him that way because you know I mean even DeGrom even though DeGrom has less innings and he he is older but we still value DeGrom well above him but I think Sale is capable of pitching at that high of a level like we've seen it in the past and I think we'll see it again I think that he's returned to form I think now that he we know that he's healthy I think we can be excited about what we can expect moving forward just based on everything we've seen so far since he's come back. Yep. Three for three. I have him as a ace again as well. Ba- a back end ace at that. I think he's more, he's more like my 12 to 15 range, kind of in the same range as like a, a Freddie Peralta long-term. I think they're both very similar values moving forward, but yeah, definitely a back and ace or at the very least. And if you're in a, you know, 10 or 12 team, maybe he's a high end too, but yeah, seeing him come back, he looks, like I said, he looks just as good to me as he did in 2018. Like, everything's back. I do think, you know, the velocity was pretty high in his start here in Portland that I was at, but I do think the gun is a little hot here in Portland. It adds a mile or two. So he's, like, sitting at 97, 98 for the most part. So I don't think he's that arm anymore, but still can get up there when he needs to. And, and he's gone from being a thrower to a pitcher, like, over the last 
you know, four or five years. We saw that, Jake. Like the transformation, he guess got something he gets smarter every year, how to mix pitches when he can, you know, when he, you know, hit it with 93 or when he needs a rear back for 97, 98 in the, in the top of the zone. So, um, yeah, not, not just our Red Sox bias out here. I think he's definitely back to being a fantasy ace moving forward, at least for the next few years. You know, obviously, you know, probably tail off as he gets into his mid 30s, but I think we got another few years of elite level Chris Sale. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side and talk some top 10 dynasty players and some players to sell high. So don't go anywhere. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. Got Jake Devereaux here. We just talked some Red Sox, of course. Just getting to some top 10 dynasty discussion here. Let's just start with simply who is our top five right now? Chris, I know you do yours for OBP, so it might be a slightly different, but who is your top five right now for OBP dynasty rankings? Still got Fernando Tatis Jr., number one. I, the production, I mean, I get the injury risk, and I think there's risk with every single player in the top five, but... Tatis is just so hard to argue against what he's done. I mean, in 243 career games, 74 home runs, 51 stolen bases, a slash line of 292, 369, 601. You know, every time we think he's down, he just pops back and and performs at a high level. I've got Vlad second. I think this is maybe more OBP specific, but I still think he's definitely a – I could make an argument for him at three, I think, in in batting average. Got Acuna third. I – have few questions about how much he runs coming back, but I do think that he's going to make sure he's healthy. He wants to run. He enjoys, you know, putting up those numbers. So I could see him still stealing. Soto fourth probably won't be popular among many in OBP and, you know, the resurgence and how well he's performed. You know, I think that he could take a bump up, but I think looking at the top three, Soto doesn't really run and you can make the same argument for Vlad, but I think Vlad has more power than Soto. So that's kind of what leads me to put Vlad over Soto for OBP purposes. And then I've got Otani pinning that you can have him in, you know, as a pitcher and uh, bat in your league at fifth. So a dual eligible Otani is fifth for me. And, you know, he's, he's been elite. So you can make an argument for any of these. Number one, I think that that's just where we've been this year. There's question marks here with every single one of these players and, at the end of the day, I don't think you can go wrong with with any of them at number one, personally. Yeah, with me, I, I'm a little different here. I don't have Vlad number two. I actually just bumped Vlad down to five, and which obviously he's still top five, and he's been absolutely phenomenal this year, and he's been absolutely killing the Red Sox whenever he plays. I think he's hitting over 500 against the Red Sox this year with several bombs, so I, I don't like seeing you know Toronto pop up on the schedule. We have just him and Bo and all of them, but you know, you look at his stats, and I wonder if you know how much. Like I'm not saying that it was all due to his home ballparks down there, but you look at how just how great he was in the quote unquote minor league parks uh, that they were playing in until they got back into Toronto um, when they were down at uh, TD Ballpark down there in in Florida. 
He had 410 with 11 home runs in 21 games. 410, 521, 897 slash. And when they were at Salem Field up there in Buffalo, 321, 418, 762 with 10 home runs in 23 games. So that's 21 home runs in 44 games. And Toronto, you know, back at the Rogers Center, which is still a good hitter's park. And I, I don't think he's going to be this bad there. He's only 239, 323, 88. You know, so obviously I don't think he's going to be that bad. But same time, I think, you know, there was definitely some inflation with the numbers earlier in the year. So uh, I do think he's definitely no doubt top 10. And I saw him fifth there. Um, but I have, I said, ahead of him, I think Otani dual eligibility is four. He's, this became the first pitcher ever to go 40 20, which is absolutely insane. I bumped Acuna down from two to three because of the injury and the similar concerns about how much he runs coming back uh, after the knee injury. And then I have Soto back up to two um, and Tatis one. It's hard not to have Tatis one. You know, I am concerned if he can, if he's going to be a guy that's always missing some time here and there's so his style of play. But he's the only guy that I think could go like 50-30, and it wouldn't surprise me if he did. But, you know, I put Soto back up to two. Like, I, t- I put out a tweet the other day that when he was he was hitting uh, 274, 393, 425 on July 5th, and everyone's like, oh, he's having a down year, even though he still had a 393 OPP. But since then, 351, 527, 672 slash, 491 Woba, 321 ISO, 12 home runs, 38 RBI, 31 runs in 182 plate appearances, and a 26.9% walk rate to 16.5% K rate. Like, I mean, the only guy I can remember having a walk rate 10% or more higher than his, his K rate was like Barry Bonds. So he's back up to two for me. Jake, you're wearing your Soto shirt there, which I love. I have a Soto shirt too, which I, again, I think it's in the wash right now. But <laughs> where, what do you think? Where do you have Soto? Where's, what's your top five in general? Yeah, so I actually uh, I made an OBP top 10 uh, in preparation for this episode, and um, I have Mr. Soto number one, and, and okay. you, you, you kind of gave away some of the reasons why. I tweeted out yesterday that you know he has a 197 WRC plus here in the second half. Uh, he carried a WRC plus over 200 last year in the shortened season. Um, this is something he's capable of doing, and if we're ever going to see anybody replicate a Barry Bonds type season, uh, it is Soto. So I think in, in OBP leagues, he's a no doubter, um, number one for me. And uh, I, I share those concerns uh, that you have with Vlad, uh, you know, with all the different ballpark changes that he's had. I still have him as an elite guy. I have Tatis number two uh, for me. It's mostly because of the injury concerns that he's not one over Soto. Um Number three, I do have Vlad. Number four, I'm with you, Eric. Uh, I have Otani. And then um, number five, I actually have uh, Trey Turner. Um, okay, I like it. Who's, who's had a great season um, and, you know, has the speed component, plays shortstop, uh, now has second base eligibility. Um, if Acuna was healthy, I would have him uh, probably in that five spot, but I have Acuna six, um, Trout seven, Bryce Harper eight, uh, Jose Ramirez, nine, and Rafael Devers rounding out my top 10. Very nice. So one thing I just noticed, you, didn't have, you don't have Boba Shett top 10. Is it is it because of the OBP factor that drops him out for you? Yeah, that drops him out for me. Um, I had him in the list of, I would say, about uh, the next 11 players that I was considering um, to be in the top 10. You know, he's in the mix with guys like Jordan, Mookie Betts, Starling Marte, Tay Oscar, Xander, uh, he's right in that grouping of, of guys um, for me. But, 
He's fantastic. Um, I, I love him. I just think the, the power ceiling is a little bit lower uh, than some of the other guys. That's fair. You know, and, and average, I, I have Bo six and Trey seven and then uh, Trout eight right now. But let's go kind of go to that back end of the top 10 range. I put out several tweets from our, our Toolshed account here uh, over the last few days with some guys that are in. Like, I think there's a huge cluster. Um, that could be considered like eight to 15. I think they're very close, a huge cluster. Like for example, my current guys in that range, like I said, I have Trout eight, Harper nine, J-Ram 10, Devers 11, Mookie 12, Kyle Tucker 13, and Wander Franco 14, And which I think I have a very clear-cut top 14. And I think it, there's a slight drop-off down to DeGrom, who's her, and then guys like Ozzy Albies, Freeman, Yordan, Lewis Robert, et cetera. Uh, Bogart, I still have in that range as well. Um, so I put out the results here, some of these tweets, and then we'll get into it. There's, there's a lot of interesting ones here. Uh, one one I did today is, uh, is Rafael Devers a top 10 dynasty player? Currently 54% yes, 46% no. I asked who would you rather have in dynasty leagues, Tucker or Franco? 65% currently say Wander Franco. I asked, and the, I think the two biggest ones, you could so, so consider Mookie Betts, or Mike Trout, a top 10 dynasty player for bets. They said 59% yes. And Trout was still 78% yes, which I think surprised me a little bit because obviously Trout is Trout. Like we don't need to get into you know, how good Trout's been, but he doesn't run much anymore. And it's almost like you have to bake in, you know, 20 to 30 games missed. So the numbers will always be elite, but they'll be scaled back to like 80 to 85% of the total games played. So, that's a drop him down, I think, to like so I have him eighth right now, but I by the time I post my up my next uh on site update, he might be ten or eleven. I think he's definitely slipping a little bit. Um I see he's only thirty still. I'm not doing it because of the age, it's more so he's not running much anymore and you gotta bake in the you know IL center too. So uh Clegg, for I know you probably have him a little high for OBP, but do you share those same concerns with Trout? Do you think he's sliding and in danger of moving out of the top ten here pretty soon? I've got him at tenth. I think that, you know, the the upside's still there. And I, I think even if he doesn't steal a bag the rest of his career, I still think that you can warrant him being top 10 just because of how elite he's been. And I also think the fact, I, I think people are going to be concerned that he's not coming back this year. I kind of think it's intentional on the Angels' part. I think they want a fully healthy trout next year. And I don't think yeah. they, yeah, you know, there's no point in them risking it, in my opinion, by bringing it back. Uh, you might as well just hold him out for the rest of the season, you know, let him do workouts. He's been with the team for what, like a month. And we thought he was going to come back. Right. But <laughs> I, I kind of think they're just going to let him, you know, chill out the rest of the year and they're going to come back next season with a healthy trout, obviously still having Otani and hopefully Rendon bouncing back. And I can see them making some splashes in the off season. They've shown they're not afraid to, to throw money at players. So I think next year's the year where it should be telling it should really be telling of Trout, even though we know he'll be – he is 30. Next year will be, you know, his age 30 season. He just turned 30 earlier this month. But I, I think that there's still, you know, 40 home run pop in the bat, and we've seen that pretty consistently, you know, 400 OBP or better, and, you know, a guy that can hit close to 300. So even without the stolen bases, I think that you still have to look at an elite bat. And I think that he'll, he'll be exactly that when he comes back fully healthy next season. Yeah, yeah. I, I still think he's definitely up there, but I said I I got a bacon that IL stint, so I bumped bumped him down. 
a bit there. Um, like I said, like we we saw, you know, obviously you you like having some speed with your elite players, but we saw that with you know a guy like Nolan Arenado was a top ten player for a long time just because of how good he was in the other four categories, hitting th- around 300, 40 plus home runs, you know, well over a hundred RBI and run every year. Um, for a good five, six years until he kind of slowed down a little bit recently. But um, so it's not, it's not you know, a complete hindrance to his value, but uh, I just wish he was still running a little bit. I wish he wasn't, you know, good for 20 to 25 games missed a year now, it seems, which kind of sucks. But yeah, hopefully, like you mentioned, Chris, hopefully this is a, you know, a blessing in disguise and he can get fully healthy. And maybe he gets another couple of years where he's playing 150 plus games in again. So I think that would be, that would be great for the games. I don't want to see, a, you know, 120 games a year, Mike Trout. Um, I don't think any of us do, but uh, Jake, I'll toss it over to you for this next guy. As you said, you had him number 10. I have a number 11 right behind that. Rafael Devers, you know, we've seen this seems like a better Devers every year, a little bit of a down year in 2020 uh, for his standards. But again, I'm not really docking any, you know, really good hitter for having a, you know, a down 2020 with everything that was going on. And he's bounced back this year. It's one of the best hitters in baseball, 276, 352, 545 slash, 30 home runs, 94 RBI, 80 runs score, and four steals. What puts Rafael Devers in that number 10 spot for you? I think it's just the fact that, you know, when we think about guys who we're confident over the next five to 10 years, they're going to produce just numbers. Um, Rafael Devers is just a sure thing for me. Uh, in that category, because when we look at his power statistics, you know, max exit velocity, average exit velocity, um, hard hit rate, all those things, Devers is among the best hitters in all of baseball in, in those categories. Um, anytime you think a little hole has opened up in his game, whether he's having trouble with the fastball or, you know, struggling with breaking pitches away, he seems to uh, quickly close that that hole in his game. Um, and you know, he, he's put himself in some pretty rare company, uh, in Red Sox history. I mean, he's, he's, I think now just the third player under 25 years old in Red Sox history to have three straight seasons of 30 home runs. Um, it's, or I think it, yeah, I think that was it. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just, he's incredible. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that we underrate a little bit, um, is I think maybe we get caught up in the slash line a little bit more than than we should in fantasy sometimes, and we forget that like, you know, RBI men are important, and uh, you know, driving in runs is important, and he's he's one of those guys that is going to be consistently near the league leaders. The Red Sox offense is always good. He's somebody who gets a lot of doubles, benefits a lot from, you know, the Green Monster. Um, so. Yeah, I, I'm just confident that being in the middle of that Red Sox lineup over the next, you know, five to ten years, he's gonna just continue to rake. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The fact that he's gonna be hitting in the middle of the order with guys like JD and Xander and Verdugo and you know eventually Tristan Cassis and, and others up around him. So yeah, it's always a great spot to be. When have the Red Sox not been like at worst, they're like, I don't know, what, twelfth 10th or 12th offense in baseball they're yeah. always like top 10 some some years top three a lot of years top five so yeah definitely a great spot to be in the middle of that order um and yeah like, there's some red flags i won't i won't say they're red like maybe pink flags i don't know um <laughs> he, he, he does you know the the chase rate the whiff rate is a little worse than league average right now but 
that's really about it. And at the same time, even though with those two metrics, he still only has a 21.2% K rate because he puts the bat on the ball. His um, uh, zone contact rate is around league average. Chase contact rate is actually above league average. So puts the bat on the ball. And like you mentioned, Jake, the quality of contact metrics are just so damn good. Uh, he is uh, 80, what's it, actually 92nd percentile or higher in average exit below, max exit below, hard hit. You know, X log barrel rate. He has a 15.6% barrel rate. It's very, very good across the board. That 50.6% hard hit rate. So that makes up for it. Is when he hits the ball, he hits the ball very, very hard. Um, so I'm not really concerned with with the chase rate or the whiff rate right now, um, with, with how good he is. Um, Chris, moving over to you for this one here. Uh, the last, the other question I mentioned that we put on Twitter. You know, Wander Franco or Kyle Tucker. And I also put out another tweet I forgot about. Um, if people consider Wander Franco to be a top 10 dynasty prospect and 54% said, yes. Uh, Are you ready to put Wander Franco 10? Obviously he's had a turnaround. He's been on base like 20, was it 27 straight games or something like that right now? Um, Really turning the, uh, turning it on average wise, still only has like three home runs over the last month. I've kind of comped him to an Aussie Albies with more batting average and OBP upside. I think he's going to be, 25 home runs, 15 steals, but he'll hit like 300 plus to Albies, you know, 260 to 280. So are you ready to put Wander Franco top 10? And who would you take right now? Start up draft right now for Dynasty. Franco's on the board. Tucker's on the board. Who are you taking? I don't know if I'm ready to push him top 10, but I'm not pushing Tucker top 10 either. And, you know, we can't not mention how good Wander's been over, you know, basically the last month at this point. Like you mentioned, he's been an on-base machine over that time, just performing at a high level. Um, I, I think that he's pushing that, and he will push that. I mean, he's just 20 years old, you know? And I think that's Yeah, I think we do have to factor that in as well, that he's performing at this level in the majors at, at 20. So, you know, as a prospect, checked every box, you know, for, on a performance and analytical standpoint, scouting standpoint. He's basically everything you want. I do think that he's above Tucker at this point for me, but Tucker's also made tangible improvements this year. But there's just so many good options in the top 10 that I don't know who I would take out. And (laughs) that's that's the biggest struggle for me is who do you remove? And, you know, some would say take out Mookie. I'm not really ready to do that yet. I've still got Mookie top 10. I think that, you know, we'll see him bounce back. I think he's been injured all year. We'll see him be fine. I mean, Harper for me is a bona fide top 10 option. I mentioned Trout at the back end. I'm not sure I'm ready to remove him yet for for either, you know, Wander or Kyle Tucker. But needless to say, what they've done has been very impressive this year, both guys. And I think from a, you know, long-term standpoint, yeah, I think they're going to keep performing at a high level. And you you have to give Wander, I think, the edge here because he is just 20 and Tucker is 24. Yeah, still young, but Wander dominating at 20 years old is pretty impressive. Yeah, definitely. I have them back-to-back right now. Uh, I have Tucker 13, Wander 14 in my ranking, so I guess I would take Tucker. But um, And, Jake, I, I think I know where you're, you'd go with this. Is as, as we've learned from our time together on 5-Tool, <laughs> you're not the biggest Tucker guy around. I think you come around them a little bit, but what, what yeah. are your thoughts? Who would you take, and, and do you have Wander top 10 right now? I don't have Wander top 10. Um Right now, at this very moment, I actually do have Tucker uh, higher than than Wander. Um, oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah, I've come around on Tucker. I think he's done a good job of closing some of the gaps that we did see in his game, and I I think that 
one of the things I'm most intrigued about is, you know, he cut that K rate a little bit um, from where it was in 2019 and certainly 2020. Um, but the thing that I wonder, oh, geez, I didn't mean to do that. Wonder with wander. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I'm wondering about is like, how impressive are the counting stats actually going to be? You know, how, how many home runs is he going to hit? How many stolen bases is he going to have? Um, as a real life baseball player, uh, I'd take Wander over Tucker every day. Um, but I think that it could take a number of years and that the ceiling could be a little bit limited. I don't think that Wander is ever really going to give you that like top five fantasy season. Uh, I, I just don't think he has the loud tools. Um, he's, he's just better in real life. Yeah. And that's fair. I think it's been like the question with Wanda. Nobody questions the hit tool. Everyone knows he's like, this is going to be a bona fide 300 hitter, potential batting title. Like, he could win five batting titles in his career. It wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. With how, how he's already shown that you know, he can make the adjustments on the fly at 20 in the major leagues and, and hit 300 over hit 300 the last month or so. Um, but yeah, it, it is, you know, he's not the big power. He's not, he's not Tatis or Acuna when it comes to power speed. He's not even a Luis Robert. You know, with power speed, but I do think there's like 25 home runs there, 15 steals. And you want, especially if you got up to 30, you know, he's still 20. Let's see if he, he bulks up a little more. Anything wouldn't surprise me with him. It's just like he's just done everything and he's just so good. So talented. So it wouldn't surprise me if we saw some 30 home run years out of him, but yeah, just the fact that he's not going to be that 35, 25 type of guy like Tatis or whatever. So that does keep him a little bit lower. I don't think he'll be top three for dynasty, but I think he could settle in as like a back end top 10 dynasty guy moving forward. And yeah, as for Tucker, like you look at his savant page, there's a lot of red there. Like you mentioned Jake, K rate is down to 17.1%. You know, he's been hitting basically everything. He has a 293 or higher XBA on all three pitch types, even though he's gotten really unlucky on breaking balls, only 220 in real life on breaking balls. But he's cut the whiff rate, he's cut the, uh, the chase rate's been pretty solid as well. Contact metrics have gone up. He's actually got one of the highest XBAs in all of baseball at 303 with a 567X slug. So, yeah, a lot to like there with Tucker. So, um, I think he definitely could be a top 10 guy long term as well. Moving into our last segment here, we're each going to give you a, a guy to sell high right now in Dynasty Leagues as we get into you know the last month of the season or so. We're going to go one hitter and one pitcher each. Jake, why don't you kick us off with your hitter? Uh, the guy I'm going with is uh, Aaron Judge, um, who's just having an absolutely phenomenal season. Um, the best year that he's had since 2017, where he had 52 bombs. Um, the reason why I think you should sell high on Aaron Judge is because, you know, right now he is easily a top 10 hitter in all of baseball. I don't think that's even arguable with the numbers. But he's 29 years old. He's going to be 30 next year. Um, and injuries when you're over 30 tend to come more frequent than they do in your twenties. And uh, right now he's already played the second most games that he's ever played in his career with 115. Uh, so far this season, he played 155 in that year that I was talking about uh, 2017, but he's always been uh, right around a hundred games or fewer in, in the other years because of injury concerns. So I think that if you're ever going to find a year where he has that sort of vintage Aaron judge performance and you can sell high and really get a lot for him, I think it's this year because 
Aaron Judge in his 30s is a scary prospect for me. Yeah, I think you mentioned injuries in the 30s, and this is a guy that has already been pretty injured in his 20s. So, yeah, with him being as large of a man as he is, you know, like an NFL defensive end, NBA power forward type of guy, yeah, I think there's definitely yeah, a chance that more injuries do come. You know, and I'm not saying that as a Red Sox fan, um, but just looking at, you know, he doesn't usually play many games, and we've seen this. So, definitely concerned there. So, I think that's a great pick there. Uh, Chris, who's your guy? I'm going with Brandon Lau. And, you know, a couple months ago, we looked at Brandon Lau as a potential, was he droppable in, in a redraft league because he was performing that poorly. And his splits are terrible. And that's what concerns me is is the splits. He can't hit lefties at all, hitting just 181 against lefties this season. You know, I, I do fear that he's just going to be a streaky hitter. And while you look at the overall stat line, you see 30 home runs this year. I mean, He's been impressive. He's been scorching hot this second half, but he's still on the year just hitting 233, 336 OBP, and just shy of 500 slug, 30 home runs, six stolen bags. I think you can get a lot for him right now. I think you could sell him and, and get a more bona fide player. You, you look at kind of the underlying numbers, his contact rates aren't good. His O swing has gone up significantly this year from last year. There, there's things in the profile that still scare me and especially the splits. And I think that there's a potential platoon option, especially with, with Tampa. I mean, this is what the Rays do best is platoon guys. And if you can't hit lefties, there's a chance he platoons. He's been scorching. I'd sell him in Dynasty right now and you know cash out on this you know hot second half that he's had. Yeah, with Lau, I just don't like guys that are that streaky. You know, you know, head-to-head, I guess, you know, end of the year, the numbers look the same. Obviously, me for, uh, for Roto, but... Yeah, head to head, this is a guy that could you could carry you for a week, like he's shown recently, but he can also sink you for a few weeks to the point where you're not even playing him and maybe even dropping him. Like I saw some people at considering dropping Lau earlier in the year, which was you know very valid with how bad he was for a couple of months. Uh, so definitely like that pick. And I'm gonna stick in Tampa Bay and go Randy Arena. On the surface, he's having a pretty solid year: 272, 351, 456 slash. 17 home runs, 11 steals, 57 RBI, and 74 runs scored across 485 plate appearances. But you look under the hood, and it's it's not great. You know, there are some intriguing things. Like he still has a 80th percentile sprint speed, which is good. Average exit velo 90.2, which is in line with the last couple of years, uh, which is 67th percentile, 86th percentile max exit velo. So those are all solid. Hard hit rate above average at 64% percentile, 43.2%. But then you get into the the blue areas here on Savant, where he's been pretty lucky this year. His XBA is only 209. X slug is 355. That's very concerning. K rate still at 20%. So that's a little higher than I would like to see. Now, he has upped the walk rate a little bit to 9.1%. So that is nice. But um, the other issue here that we all kind of talked about last year when we were, and he was coming off that historic. You know, one of the best postseason performances we'd ever seen was, all right, he mashes fastballs, but what about breaking balls and off-speed? Those are those, you know, issues and concerns are still there. He's hitting 338 off fastballs this year, albeit with a 260 XBA, but only 215 against breaking balls, 203 against off-speed, and the XBAs on those are even lower, 150 against uh, breaking balls, 183 on off-speed with a whiff rate right around 38 uh, 38% for both. Um, and, you know, the X slug in both of those 
is under 250. So those issues are still there. Like he hasn't really corrected the issue he has against non-fastball offerings. And he's, like, he's just been slightly above average in some categories, but well below average in others. So I think, you know, due to, I think you still, he's still riding high from that performance last year. So I think he still has a top 50 name value right now, but he's more like right around top 100 for me overall with some, I uh, still have some of those concerns, like I mentioned. So I would look to sell high on him right now as the metrics don't really support what he's doing right now. Uh, let's move over to pitchers, though. Uh, Jake, who's your pitcher? My guy is Craig Kimbrell, um, who, uh, you know, one of the best closers in history. But, you know, since uh, since the trade, uh, he's been pretty bad. Uh, in August, he has a 7.84 ERA. Um, but if you dig into the numbers, um, you know, he's, everything's going in the wrong direction. So in the first half of the season, he was just having an absolutely dominant year. Um, he was only allowing a hard hit percentage of 24.5%. Um, in the second half, that's jumped up to 42.9%. Even more telling than that, the home run to fly ball rate, which you know has traditionally been the thing that kills him when he's going through tough stretches, that jumped from 4.5% in the first half to 23.5%. Uh, in the second half. So he's just given up way too many home runs, way too much hard contact. Um, you know, if, if you're, if you've ever been a fan of Craig Kimbrell um, and, and Clegg, I think you're a Braves fan, right? So you, oh, yeah. you've been a, a fan of Kimbrell when he goes through struggles uh, it usually has to do with his role switching. Uh, and this was something I realized right away. I owned Kimbrell in a league, um, and our trade deadline was a couple of weeks ago and I traded him because I was like, well, he's going to be in this weird position now where uh, him and Liam Hemdricks are sort of like sharing the closer role. That does not work with Kimbrell. Kimbrell needs to be the guy, needs to know that he has the ninth. And if you're messing with him, if you're putting him in a fireman role, if you're doing anything weird with him, his numbers are going to go terribly wrong. So uh, we're seeing that right now. Um, and, you know, with the age a lot of people were kind of thinking that uh, the best days for Kimbrell might be behind him. And, uh, you know, our friend Jesse Roach um, on the five to a pod uh, convinced us this past off season that Kirk Kimbrell was somebody that we should be buying into again. And, and I did buy into him in a bunch of leagues and I was happy with it. But I think that, you know, moving forward, uh, we don't know what his situation is going to look like next year. He's a free agent. Um, there's just too much volatility for me. And I think that, if you can get somebody to buy into the fact that he's still got that super low 2.06 ERA uh, for the year, then I would move him right away because he could very easily revert to what he was in 2020 <laughs> or 2019. Yeah, and we've seen that with Kimbrell. It's, it doesn't take much to get him to swing one way or the other, it seems like. so. Yeah. Uh, Chris, who is your pitcher? I'm going with Carlos Rodon, who's been you know, pretty stellar this year. I think he's made some tangible changes that have, you know, put him in a good position, but I'm concerned about the injury factor here. I mean, you, you look at what he's done and it's hard to argue. He, he's thrown 114 innings, two, four, three ERA, a 0.97 whip, all really good. You know, the strikeout rate jumped significantly at 35%. He lowered his walk rate to 6.7%. My two biggest concerns with him are one, he's basically a two pitch pitcher. Yes. He does throw a change up. I 12% of the time, but it's a terrible pitch. He's gotten rocked on it all season. So he's pretty much exclusively a four-seam slider guy. And we've kind of seen how that's going with pitchers like Patrick Corbin, who's been really affected by that. You know, I, I have question marks 
you know, could he get hurt again? Certainly. Could he be healthy? Yeah, and I could be wrong on this, but I'm selling for those reasons. One, the pitch mix, and two, because of the injury risk here. Even though he's been impressive this year, he's made a major resurgence, but I think you could cash out right now and get you know something pretty solid in a dynasty league for him with less risk. Because that's what I'd be looking to do with Carlos Rodon. Yeah, no, I I agree with a lot of those points there. It's it's uh, Rodon's been it's been a nice story and it's nice to have him back because he was one of the you know a top pitching prospect for a while uh, until he had his struggles. But yeah, definitely would sell high, agree, and sell high on Rodon there as well. Um, my guy here to round up the show. I'm going to guy that I used to love as a prospect, not so much anymore. Casey Mize of the Detroit Tigers, and I think you know he started off he had a, a shaky start to his career, but he's kind of been pitching better lately at least on the surface this year 355 era 116 whip across 24 starts but outside of that there's a, i have a lot i'm concerned about like you go to a savant page and it's a lot of blue <laughs> a lot of blue across the table um he, he has a xba of 253 x slug of 454 he's bottom 20 percent in a lot including x era uh, X slug, barrel rate, K rate, whiff rate, you know, max exit below. He gives up a lot of hard contact as well there. So um, a lot I'm concerned about there. And in fact, that he just doesn't miss bats. Like I never thought he'd be this really elite source of K's. Like he never was even back to uh, his days at the university of Auburn when he came out as a number one pick a few years back. But in even the minor leagues, he wasn't a super high K rate guy. Um, he, he doesn't have any offering with a 30% whip rate. He has a, a bunch that are in the low to mid 20s. His highest is a 28.9% on his slider, uh, which is a pitch he's kind of worked on over the last couple of years, uh, getting better, um, which has been a, a good pitch for him. 170 XBA, 305 slug on that. But the, he has a three, uh, excuse me, a 273 or higher XBA on his sinker, splitter, and curveball. That splitter has regressed. That was a pitch I called a 70 grade off rate at one point in time that has regressed. Um, and even his four seamer where he's only has a two fifteen XBA, but he's given up a five Oh nine slug on that. So getting up a lot of hard contact, uh, his slider even has an, ex, an average XFB level of 89, five, four, four seamer, 92, one, a lot of hard contact, not a lot of whiffs. I think he could be a poor man's Kyle Hendricks, which puts him what maybe a top 60 SP, but I think he's being still being valued higher than that. So, I would look to sell high right now while I can't on Casey Mize. But that's going to wrap us up. Jake, buddy, it was great podcasting with you again. That was fun. Yeah, man, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you and Clegg, uh, you know, inviting me on and being part of the show. This was great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, go check out Jake's stuff over at uh, Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru where he writes and pods over there for those sites. So check that out. Uh, you can follow us again on Twitter. Jake is at DevJake. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I'm at Aircross04 and our show at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of Chris and I's written work at Fantrax HQ or over on our Patreon. Make sure to tune in again next week for more Dynasty and Prospect talk. But until then, everyone take care.
Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? 